Well, good morning. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Again, various scriptures we're going to be turning to. And the first one you're going to turn to is in the book of Psalms. So I'll just give you a heads up. We'll be in Psalm. We'll get there eventually. But until then, there was a couple announcements that I do need to make. Um, I forgot to ask Landon to make this announcement. After church, if you're a greeter or you've been called or you want to be a greeter at the new church, Bruce, where you at? Bruce, raise your hand so everybody knows who Bruce is. Bruce would like to meet with you. How about underneath respect the game sign? Is that okay? All right. Awesome. And then Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, all our setup teams, uh, or maybe you're not on the setup team, but you're like, hey, I want to help with parking at the new church because until we get the uh, pavement done, or I should say pavement, chip and seal, and the line's down, it's going to be stone. So there's not going to be any lines. So you're all going to come parking in like this, okay? So we're going to have people out there parking. They'll have the orange vest on helping. Now, if you'd like to help park or you want to valet park, I had one person say they'll help valet park as long as they get to drive Lamborghinis. Well, I don't think we're that kind of church. If we are and you've got a Lamborghini, let's talk after church. Meet me under that sign over there. Now, if you want to help with parking or valet, uh, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, would you just please show up at the church? And uh, I'd like to meet with you. We're just going to go over our game plan for what's going on. Because... Because, 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 because. Thank you. Okay. Somebody's like, what's going on here? Wizard of Oz show tune? Okay. So here's the deal. Because next Sunday, next Sunday, hopefully 90% sure, there's always that 10%. We're like weathermen. Okay. Partly cloudy. Um, next Sunday, we will not be here. We will be at the church. Okay. So we're excited about that. Yeah. It's a huge praise God. It's a big yay God. And so what's, what we're waiting on is Tuesday is the final, final inspection. So we're pretty sure we're going to pass it. But hey, you know, you don't want to assume anything. So we're just going to Tuesday night, Wednesday, look for social media, email, Facebook, where it may be with an announcement. Okay. If you don't see anything coming out Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, you may cry along with us and we'll see you here. Okay. Um, but we will make that announcement. And... Um, we're sort of excited about it. I think, like, man, my heart's beating. I don't know. I just get excited about preaching God's word, but I, I, the thought of this might be the last time we have to set up a chair in this building is just a huge yay, God. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that would be someone who's on the setup team right now. It's clapping really hard. Okay. I really don't know what we would do next week when I say go be the church, and you're all getting ready to grab your chairs. Like, we don't have to do anything with these chairs. You're all going to stand clueless. You're just going to stand like, what do we do now? We'll just point. Those are the exit doors. Hang on. Talk for a while. It's all good. Okay. We're looking forward to it. It's uh, been an incredible blessing. Incredible blessing. Well, I heard a story about a young lady who sent her mom a special gift. She was so excited. Um, She sent her mom these birds. And she's like, I know my mom's just going to love these birds. And so she sent them off to her mom. And she called her mom. She said, hey, mom, did you get my gift? Did you get the birds that I sent you? And she goes, oh, yes. They were so good. They were so, did you eat them? Yeah. What? Mom, those birds were expensive. They were trained. They could talk. Well, they should have said something. <laughs> right? I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian, we live in a world where you are going to get swallowed up if you don't stand up for what you believe in. If you don't stand up and proclaim the truth for what 
God has taught us in His Word and in your life, if you won't stand up and say something, you will get swallowed up like those birds. As Christians, we need to know what we believe. As Christians, we need to know why we follow Jesus Christ. Who is God? Who's the Holy Spirit? What's sin? What is salvation? Why go to church? Do you understand why you believe all these things? So we're in the middle of a sermon series right now that's explaining why we believe the things we believe. So that, not so that we can just sit in our chairs and have strong beliefs, so that we can go out and live out what we believe. So that we can proclaim with truth, we can open our mouths and and say with, with all strength and boldness and courage and truth, this is what I believe and this is what I proclaim and you can see it because I am living it out. So we're going through this series. And, and today, I want, I want to talk to you, and it's always, I'm always amazed how God does this, because it's not like Dave and I sit around and say, hey, what songs are you going to be singing, and, and this is what I'm going to be preaching on. And we don't normally, we don't do that. I should say normally. I was just thinking about, you know, sometimes like, hey, this is what's going on this Sunday. And it's like, well, that's great. I've already got the, you know, message ready. And uh, that last song, Jesus Saves, it's like, that's the sermon. That last song we sang, that Jesus Saves. And I read a story, and it's shared by uh, the author's name is David Smith. He wrote this book describing what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And so I've been reading that book, and, and, I, and I saw this story, and I thought, I want to see if this story is true. Because, you know, when you read stuff, you want to know, is it true? So I went online, checked out the story that he had put in the end notes in the back of the book, and, and it was. And I, I researched different things about it. And, and here's the story. It's about a gentleman by the name of Michael Cohen. Now, on September 28th in 2011, Michael Cohen uh, made a decision that totally changed his life forever. See, this was uh, in South Africa. The story uh, takes place about him waking up in the morning, and he said this would be a beautiful day to go for a walk along the beach, go for a swim. I want to go out in the beautiful Atlantic Ocean near it was Cape Town, South Africa. And uh, you can't blame Michael for wanting to go for a swim because the beaches, from what I understand and pictures I've seen of, of Cape Town, are just amazingly attractive. So he strolls along the shore. And just think about this if you've been to the ocean. You walk along the shore. You, you're, you can play around in the sand. You can go out in the waves and swim and catch some, some sun rays. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. And he's enjoying all of this. Uh, it's very inviting as he looks out into the water. Unless, unless... There are great white sharks patrolling the shoreline. Then that's a good time to not swim, amen? Yeah, so here's the thing. It's not unusual for these uh, dangerous beasts, these great whites, to swim in the shallow waters off of Cape Town. So if you're a fan of Shark Week on cable and you've watched Shark Week, and you're like, you might have seen this documentary. It may have been on there. But you witness how many shark attacks take place off of a lot of these beaches. Well, the fact that these dangerous sharks are so frequent there at Cape Town, they actually have got these committee and these teams together, and they developed what's called a shark spotter program. So along with helicopters and the lifeguards coordinating all this together, they're spotting the sharks onto the water so that they can put up the flags, put up the warnings, tell people, beach is closed, no swimming today, right? Well, on this fateful morning... Michael Cohen is going for a walk on the beach, and three great whites have been spotted by helicopter that morning off the coast. Flags up, lifeguards out, beach closed. Nobody's swimming. There's great whites out in the water today. Well, in spite of all that, most uh, 
people usually get to him, but not Michael Cohen. That morning, Michael's like, you know what? I'm going to go for a swim anyway. And you think about this. Didn't he see the flags? Didn't he listen to the lifeguards? I would say yes or no. Yes, he saw the flags. No, he did not listen to the lifeguards. He ignored, he refused to listen, he went into the waters. And as the lone swimmer in the water, guess what he is? Easy prey for the sharks. He's the only one in the water. People along the shore, eyewitnesses claim that a great white shark brutally attacked him. Took off his right leg below his knee, completely bit it off. Badly mangled his left leg. Pool blood in the water. They watched Michael helplessly flail his arms in the bloody water and as the shark moved in for the kill. Now, I, I think about this. Why did he break the rules and get in the water? Some of you right now, you're probably sitting in your, your seats going, okay, not to be ungodly, but I'd like to use a word right now, and that would be idiot. What idiot would look at a sign posted that says, sharks... Flags are up, lifeguards put up the warnings, but yet still think you can go out in the water and be okay. Who would think that, right? We would sit back, we would criticize, we'd call them names, and we'd say, seriously, what was he thinking? Why, why would he ignore the, all those warnings? Why would he do this? But here's the thing. But for all of us who point a finger at Michael and say, why would you do that? Okay? Let's remember this. We have to answer this question. Why do we? Why do we so often ignore God and do our own thing? Think about it. I, you know, I've got some bad news and good news to share this morning. And, uh, you know, you always, whenever somebody says, I've got some bad news and some good news, and what do you want to hear first? Everybody always wants what? The bad news, right? Give me the bad news. Let's get it out of the way because I'd like to end with the good news. So I'm going to start with some bad news this morning, okay? Here, here's, here's the bad news. Let's get this out of the way, okay? Um, the Bible, which... We believe it's truth, inerrant, the words of God. It tells us about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. It tells us about life. It tells us uh, how to live in a way that honors Him. Okay? It has some really scathing descriptions about you and I in the Bible. There's some bad news in there. Okay? So you're in the book of Psalm. Let's go to the book of Psalm, chapter 14. Psalm, chapter 14, right near the beginning of that book. Psalms is basically located in the middle of the Bible. It's Old Testament. In Psalm 14, starting in verse 1, it says this, Only fools say in their hearts, there's no God. Now, we just celebrated a holiday, Valentine's Day and Christmas. And all those you know, I've, I've, I always laugh when somebody says, For those who don't believe in God, you've got your own holiday. It's what? April Fool's Day, right? Okay. David said, Only fools say in their heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. Their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Look at verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise. If anyone seeks God. Look at verse 3. But no. All. Let me hear you say all. All. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. David is very clear here. Matter of fact, in Romans 3.23, in the New Testament... Paul says, listen, for all, let me hear you say all again, all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, there's a word in those two verses that says all. I think it's, it's very inclusive of everyone. Well, you think about this, all and everyone, okay? 
Same thing, right? Guess what category we fall into? It's not a trick question. All. All of us fall into the all category. We're all sinners. That's bad news. And for some of us, like, okay, I've heard that sinner term before. What exactly does it mean to sin? What is a sinner? Let me, let me explain this very clearly. It's a person who breaks the law of God. God has these laws. You break the law, you have sinned. You are therefore a sinner. Okay. For example, the Bible commands us not to lie to one another. Colossians 3.9 says that we're not supposed to lie to one another. However, Drs. Kim Sirota, Timothy Levine, Franklin Boaster found that most of us tell 1.65 lies a day. 1.65 lies. Don't ask me how they figured all that out, okay? Other research believes that the number is higher between three to six lies a day. Okay. According to a 2002 study conducted by the University of Massachusetts, 60% of adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. But even that number makes it sound better than it really is because the people who took the study... Actually, they lied three times during the conversation in that study. According to the book, The Day America Told the Truth, 86% of us lie to our parents regularly, followed by friends, 75%, siblings, 73%, spouses, 69%. But in general, here's the thing. They said, the things we lie about are not even important. The things we lie about are things that make us look better or make others think we're more likable. Those are the things we lie about. But we're told not to lie, according to the word. According to God's word, we're told not to steal. I'm telling you, at a very young age, I've learned this. Hopefully you've all learned this. At a very young age, it's this. If it doesn't belong to you, it's not yours. To take something that doesn't belong to you is stealing. And I don't know if you know this, but 45% of America admits to pirating copyrighted material. Illegally downloading a song or movie. Another survey of Princeton Survey Research Associates in 2011 said this. A major new survey of American attitudes to online copyright infringement has found that 70% of all 18 to 29-year-olds have pirated music, TV shows, or movies. Now, we would step back and say, I'm just really savvy, you know, when it comes to technology, right? I've learned to beat the system. You've learned to steal. That's, that's what it is. Taking something that doesn't belong to you, it's called stealing. Okay? It's sin. Now, the Bible also tells us not to lust. Proverbs 6.25 says, talks about lust and the danger. Here's the thing. Lust can consume us. Lust destroys relationships and marriages and families. One resource states that 70% of men and 30% of women have admitted to watching porn. Now, pornography sites are more visited than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. That's amazing. And that's sin. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, you're sitting there going, Hey, Rex, I've never lied, I've never stolen, and I don't lust. Well, congratulations, great. You must not have a pulse, first of all, okay. Um, but if you're perfect in all those three areas, let me throw out a few more and ask how you're doing when it comes to greed or laziness or envy or idolatry or disobedience to parents or pride. I never sinned. You just did. Okay? A um, little pride going on there. Here, here's the bad news, okay? We all break the commands of God. There's none of us exempt from that. 
which puts us in the sinner category. Okay, so we've established that, okay? But here's the bad news is where it gets worse. There's nothing you can do about it. It sort of makes bad news worse, right? We get it. We're all sinners. Thanks, Rex, for beating us down this morning. We were so excited. It's a beautiful day outside. We're not going to be here next week. And now you give us this bad news, right? Well, here's the thing. When I was growing up, I looked at my brothers and my sister, my mom and dad. There's eight of us in the family. And I was the only one with red hair. And I wondered, you know, everybody's got a different color. Why am I the only one with red hair? And then I looked at the eyes. Hazel, why do I got hazel eyes? Why does everybody else have these different color eyes? Of course, my brothers are like, well, you were adopted. Okay, thanks, brothers. Okay. I found the birth certificate. I'm all good. But here's the thing. I found out why I have red hair and why I have hazel eyes. I was born that way. Period. That's it. I was born that way. Do you know why the Bible calls us all sinners? We were born that way. Let me help you understand this. Turn with me to the Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible. Very beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 15. And you sort of think about this. We're at the pinnacle of creation. Of all these things that were created, and we get to man and woman were created. I mean, this is, the, this, is the, this is the most triumphant thing, the most incredible thing that God creates is man and woman. And he places them in a beautiful garden called Eden. They have the job of taking care of the garden, naming the animals, and just enjoying the garden. That's it. Easy job, right? Oh, they had one rule. Just one. Okay? In chapter 2, we read this. Verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, you are sure to die. One rule, eat anything you want, walk anywhere you want, enjoy anything you want. But there's one tree, don't touch it, don't eat it. Don't eat of it. That's it. It's posted. Got it? Sound familiar? Don't go into the shark-infested waters. Okay, it's posted, or you will what? Die. What does Adam do? Just like Michael Cohan, who decides to go into the water, Adam and Eve, if we read in Genesis 3, 6, turn over one page most likely in your Bible, chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, the woman was convinced, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave it to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. They went into the shark-infested waters, basically. They crossed the line. It was posted. Don't eat of this. Don't eat of this. You know, I was thinking about this. Michael could have very easily picked another day to go swimming. He could have picked another body of water to swim in. He could have gone swimming in a swimming pool. He could have just stayed on the shore. Right? but he ignored the warnings. Adam and Eve could have walked to any other tree, any other part of the garden, and enjoyed it. But instead, they went right to the place that was posted not to be. Genesis 3, 7, we read on and it says this. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame and nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Here's the thing. We know when we mess up, right? When we sin, when we make a mistake, we know it. We know when we've sinned, just like Adam and Eve did. Let's read on. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? 
He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Go on to verse 16. We begin to read the consequences for our sins. He said to the woman, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you'll give birth. You'll desire to control your husband. He'll rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you to not eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns, thistles for you, though you eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Hashtag death is coming. See, they disregarded the warnings they ate from the tree. Their disobedience brought death. Brought death into the world. They became sinners. And every generation after them became sinners. They are our mom and dad of sin. So we are born sinners. We arrive broken. A few years ago, our family decided to invest in in an elliptical. Now, enjoy running and all that kind of stuff. But as I've gotten older, my knees hurt a little bit more. So all that pounding, so what would help? An elliptical. Researched it, looked at different ones to get. Talked to different people. This is the best one, best brand, or at least the kind you can afford and all that sort of that. And so we ordered it. It got shipped to us. It was too heavy for us to go pick up, put in a vehicle, and arrived in this huge container. I'm like, wow. This is all, you know. And I noticed on the side of the box, there was a, a mark. There was a scratch. It was sort of ripped open a little bit. And I was thinking, ooh, this was this damage? And the guy who delivered said, oh, no, I deliver them all the time. I've seen worse. It, it won't be damaged. It'll all be good. All right. Signed off. He took off. A few minutes later, I cut open, opened up the box. Broken styrofoam everywhere. Broken plastic pieces inside. Even though it looked pretty much good on the outside, on the inside it was broken. And it was frustrating, right? Damaged. Broken. See, when we arrive into this world as a baby, and all you moms know this, okay, that baby is very precious, isn't it? When you look at the outside of that baby, it might have a birthmark or something like, oh, okay, but look, it's so precious. And babies are incredible, aren't they? They change you. I mean, the most gentle, the most big man can grab a baby and all of a sudden, it's like, what did he just say? He's like, shut up. You know, you're like, okay. But it changes you, right? It softens you, right? And you look at those little babies. They cause us to act funny and coo right along with them. But here's the thing. We discover about these little babies. As they get older, we find out, guess what? They're broken. Those little babies we have that turn into little children, they're broken. Something inside is broken in them. You don't believe me? Do you have to teach your children how to lie? They do it on their own, don't they? Who did that? I don't know. I think you do, but you just learned how to lie. Congratulations, right? You don't have to teach your baby to be defiant and disobedient. They learn that on their own. You don't have to teach your word, teach the baby this word. No, no. They learn that on their own, don't they? Well, they probably learned it from us as parents because we were all saying, no, 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 right? They learn that word really quick when we ask them to do something. Who taught your baby? How to say, mine, mine. Did you teach them that? How to be greedy? How to want it? How not to share with others? See, our babies arrive beautiful, but on the inside, guess what? They're broken. That's the way we came onto this earth. We arrived beautiful, but broken. We're sinners because sin is in us. Paul said this. 
Um, turn with me to the book of Romans. Okay? The book of Romans. New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and you get to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7. See, we don't have to try to sin. Okay? Some of us think, you know, no, it's tough. No, listen, we don't have to try to sin. It becomes really easy. It's not like exercise, like, I better stretch uh, before I work out. I need to stretch before I sin. You don't, you know, I'm telling you, you don't even have to stretch before you sin. It just comes natural and quick, right? See, we're the offspring of the original sinners, Adam and Eve. We've inherited their tendency to sin. In Romans chapter 7, Paul explains it well, starting in verse 15, when he says this, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. And I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not the really one doing wrong. It's a sin living in me that does it. Sounds very confusing, isn't it, Paul? Here's the deal. We're broken. And what is amazing is that every major world in a religion agrees with this. Pick an Eastern religion. Okay? Pick any faith, any denomination, any religion and ask them, do you believe that the world is broken? Do you believe that we all mess up and we all make mistakes? Everyone across the board would say, yes, we all agree. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Nobody can deny the reality that we're sinners who steal and cheat and lie and lust and murder and hurt and hate. And yet, although we may agree on the brokenness of sin, not one of us can agree on how to fix it. You go to one religion and say, how do you get right with God? How do you get right with God? How do you get right with God? How do you get right with God and fix sin? You're going to come with all these different answers. Christianity, us right here, Christianity believes this. We can't fix it. God has to fix it. Some people are like, well, balance out the bad and the good. I know I've done some bad things, so if I do a bunch of good stuff, I'll balance it out. The question is, how do you know how much good you have to do? How many good things do you have to do? How many charities do you have to give to? How many places do you have to go and serve in order to... Cancel out all the bad things you've done. You don't know. That ain't going to work. How about we just forgive ourselves? You've heard that. Just forgive yourself for what you've done. I've, in competition, I've done that. I get done. I make a bad pass or something. I go, my bad. My bad. I'm sorry. My bad. Forgiving yourself doesn't work either. Because I just can't forgive myself. Because here's the problem. When I sin, when I mess up, my sin affects other people. It's like sitting on a trampoline. You're on a trampoline, another person over there jumps on trampoline, bouncing, you're like, mm. you're like, what? You know, and, you, and as a little kid, you remember this? You're trying to get up and somebody keeps bouncing and you're just like, you have no control and you're flying all over the place. When somebody sins in your life that you know that you're a part of, and if they don't know you, when somebody sins, guess what? Their sin affects you. And you feel the bounce. So just saying, I forgive myself, well, then you've got to forgive others too, Right? And others got to forgive us. Does that make it right? See, we don't need the forgiveness as from others and from ourselves to fix everything. That's good, okay? But our sins aren't against people. Our sin is against who? God. It was His command. 
And when we break sin, when we break the command of God, it isn't like, I need to ask forgiveness of you for the command I broke. I do need to ask forgiveness. I need to ask forgiveness of God first. It was his command. Joseph was being pursued by Potiphar's wife. She was attracted to him. She's coming up to him. Hey, baby, why don't you come to my bedroom? And you don't believe me, turn to Genesis 39 sometime and read the story. And she kept going after him, going after him. And finally, he's like, no. It would be the wicked thing to do because I would be sinning against God. He didn't say, I'd be sinning against my moral thoughts. I'd be sinning against your husband. No, I'd be sinning against God. You know what? Maybe we can deal with sin. Maybe we can fix sin if we just blame everybody else. Let's just blame others. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve did. Back in Genesis, God asked, How have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? How did, how did, how did this happen? He's looking at Adam, right? And Adam's like, The woman gave me the fruit. Right? You remember that? And then, so God's like, To Eve, How did you know? The serpent gave it to me. The blame game. Started on day one. Actually, more like day eight or something, right, after that. But just like Adam and Eve, we play the blame game, too. We blame everybody. It's like, our culture. Our culture is so horrible. Well, my parents raised me this way. The blame. That's called the blame game. You're blaming your culture. You're blaming your family. You're blaming your heritage. You're suggesting it's, it's the school's fault. It's the church's fault. Here's the thing. Sin is the root of all. Sin. Not the upbringing of your life, not the culture, not our society. It's sin. The choice we make, that's our responsibility. So according to the Bible, blaming, forgiving others, forgiving myself, doing good things, that will not fix my brokenness. You think that's bad news? It gets worse. Sorry. (laughs) Come on, Rex. Okay, this is where it gets worse, then we'll turn the tide and get some good news. Okay, Our sin deserves something. There's a penalty. It's called death. No matter how small, no how, how big, whether it was early in your life or later in your life, whether it was private and nobody saw or public and everybody saw, sin is sin, and it deserves a penalty. It's called death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So there's, there's a wage. There's a, there's a penalty. Somebody has to make a payment, that wage. And what is the wages of sin? Death. To summarize what I've shared so far, here, here's what I want you to hear. You and I are sinners, okay? I'm in the same category with you. There's nothing we can do about that, okay? Our sin leads to death, okay? You ready for good news? Look at the person next to you. Give them a high five. Say, about time. Go ahead. Absolutely. Now, here's the problem, okay? I'll call you all out on this, okay? You just slapped hands. None of you said it's about time. I heard a couple of you say it's about time, Okay? All right, so we're going to try one more time, a little bit more enthusiasm, because we need good news. Amen? Okay, here we go. Look at the person next to you, high five, say, it's about time. There we go. As close as I get to them being a clapping church, Dave. Okay, here we go. So let's return. Here's the, here's the good news, okay? Here's the good news. We've been rescued. We just sang it. Jesus rescued us, right? Let's go back to that story of Michael Cohen. Michael's struggling to survive. Blood is pouring out of his wounds, out of his legs, leaving him weak and endangered. Now, here's the thing. There's no way he's making back to that shore alive. No way. No way. But it just so happens that driving down the road are two gentlemen. Douglas Drysdale, 61, Hugh Till, 66. They've been working as spiritual guidance volunteers at a maximum security prison where they volunteer their time to share their faith with other, other people. 
They're on their way home. They're driving along the coast. They like driving along the coast because they look for whales and other wildlife that's maybe out in the ocean that they can see. And as they are driving along this shore, they near Fish Hook Beach, they saw this horrible event taking place. They saw a solitary swimmer out in the water. They saw a shark. They saw hysteria taking place. They parked a car. They ran down to the beach to warn the man who was in the water, but it was too late because as they got closer, they saw the bloody water. When they got to the shore, they saw Michael struggling against the waves. They saw the shark circling, going in for the kill. They, without thinking, took off their shoes And both of them dove into the water and swam out to Michael. As they plunged into those waves and swam out towards him, others couldn't believe what they were seeing. And as soon as they grabbed Michael and they got him to the shore, people showed up with belts and a wetsuit to make tourniquets to help stop the bleeding. Helicopter arrived, got Michael to a hospital where he survived. When you think about his traumatic experience he went through, it was really unnecessary had he just listened to the warnings, had he just heeded the signs. But that day, Hugh and Douglas jumped into the water to rescue him. Today, his body still bears the scars, the evidence of his disobedience. But here's the thing, like Michael Cohen, we've all been broken with sin. Like Michael, we've all done harm through our sin. Like Michael, we've all jeopardized our very lives because of sin. And as with Michael, a rescuer has come to save us. A rescuer has come to save us. That's the good news I want to share with you this morning. James, I'm sorry, Jesus is the one who rescues us. Jesus, God in the flesh, had a rescue plan in place. He knew when he came to this planet, he would put or we would put ourselves in a predicament which he would have to save us from. He's talking with his disciples one time in Luke chapter 18, 31 to 33. He said this, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man are going to come true. He'll be handed over to the Romans, speaking about himself. He'll be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus shared that plan with the disciples. And they've heard it before. They've heard the prophets. They heard Isaiah. They knew that Isaiah said this. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep, we've strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow, and yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed, treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He died to save us. He rescued us. The plan for Jesus to save us hinged on his death. To rescue us from our sin, Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, willingly and sacrificially gave his life to save us. That's good news. He paid a price for our sin. He restored a relationship between us and God that we cannot do on our own. We cannot fix on our own. 
The Bible calls this salvation. So if you ever hear that word salvation, this is what I'm talking about. It's only possible through the death of Christ on the cross. Nothing else can save us. Not forgiving yourself, not somebody forgiving you, not blaming somebody else, not doing good things. That's not salvation. The salvation that Jesus offers is more than just rescuing us from eternal death or shame and guilt from a past or from separation from God and being in hell. There's more. Listen to this. Remember Paul, we were reading it from Romans chapter 7. He's in a struggle with sin. Let me finish that passage. Verse 21. I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. Does that sound familiar? You know, it's like, I want to do the right thing, and then we end up doing the wrong thing, right? This is Paul, great theologian, man of God. Okay, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power in me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, and it's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who's going to free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God, he writes. The answer is, is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've got this sin nature that I'm struggling with, but I'm saved, I'm rescued through Jesus Christ. God graciously saves us and rescues us from sin. But remember, this is only done through Jesus Christ. And I want to make sure this is clear. I had discussions with people, and they're like, well, you know, Jesus can't be the only way. He is the only way. For sins to be forgiven, a perfect sacrifice had to be made. Because Jesus was the only person to live that perfect life on this earth, a sinless life, he's the only one whose death could pay for our sins. No one else's death can save you. No other way will happen. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. So if somebody says, that's a nice thing about Jesus and that he died and all that, but there's other ways. No. Well, you're just being narrow-minded. I'm being biblically minded. Not narrow-minded. Because church, that's the truth. That is scripture. Can you imagine Michael Cohen out there, bleeding out, shark circling. These guys swim up to him. And they're like, you know what? There's, there's probably another way, guys. There's probably another way. And I don't like you. I know what soccer team you cheer for. Don't really care for that. You, you're a little too hairy. I'd like somebody else to rescue me. Right? You think Michael had that opinion going on? Michael's like, just save me. This is the only way. Just save me. What did he need, what did he need to know about those rescuers? Here's all he needs to know. That they were willing to risk their lives for him. That's all they needed to know. You know what you need to know about Jesus? You know what's good enough? To know that there's a God who loves you enough to risk his life. To give his life for you and me. If you only knew one thing about Jesus, let it be this. He willingly took the punishment for your sins so you wouldn't have to. If that's the only thing you knew about Jesus, that would be good enough. Because that's crazy love. That's unselfish love. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus didn't jump in the waters of this world just to save you. He saved you for a purpose. 
He saved you to do something. He chose you not only to live, but to live with purpose. And I know like last week, I was just thinking about this. Some of you gave your life to Christ. Some of you prayed and, and you're like, I want Jesus in my life. I want his Holy Spirit to reign in me. I want new life. Forgive me of my sins. Here's the thing. He rescued you. He rescued you for a purpose. When you prayed that prayer last week, or maybe you prayed it when you were younger, here's the thing. You, didn't, you just didn't pray that prayer just so you're saved. You prayed that prayer. His Spirit is in you. He wants to do something with you now. What is it that He is doing in your life right now? How are you serving? How are you loving others? Where are you today? Let me ask you this. Because maybe some of you, this is the first you've heard this. Let me ask you this. Are you swimming in the waters of sin right now? Are you walking past all the warning signs, taking a chance with certain sins in your life right now? Have you been bitten by sin, wounded and flailing? If so, let Jesus Christ rescue you today. Let Jesus Christ rescue you today. Accept his love for you. And if you're here and you say, I've been rescued, I've been healed, I'm in the process of healing right now, okay? In your recovery, in your healing, do not let guilt or shame from your past sins scar you and keep you from living for Jesus. Start living for him today. Start living for today. If you're rescued and you're living... Are you living with an attitude of gratitude? If you're in here today and you're just like, I've prayed, I've asked Christ my, he's rescued me, and I will be the first to say it. Awesome. So are you living with an attitude of gratitude now? Are you able to go out and tell people, I'm saved, I'm rescued? Are you patrolling the shores of your family, the shores of your school, the shores of your workplace, looking for people who are running past those signs, heading into danger? Are you grabbing them and saving you can't save them, but sharing with them the saving message. How are you doing with that? So we come together here at church. You know what we're doing? We're worshiping. We're celebrating that God loves us and rescues us. Worship team, why don't you come on up? Let's do that. We need to celebrate the truth that God loves us. We need to celebrate that God saved us, that his son Jesus Christ rescued us. That's worth singing about. But as we leave this church building, now listen very carefully, okay? Before you zip everything up and pack everything up and your mind starts going, okay, I'm out of here. Okay, okay. before you do this, listen very carefully. We come here now as a church to worship and sing to him because we've been rescued, we've been saved, okay? But now as you leave this place, as you leave the building, leave with purpose. We know that God's very spirit is living in us. Okay? God's spirit is living in us. We can now show the love of God to others. I know some of you are going to be gathering tomorrow night out at Biddle Park. There's a prayer vigil for uh, the Coronado family. It starts at 7.30, right? And it's going to be a time, sort of an opportunity to celebrate her life and to bring closure for a lot of people. Some people weren't able to go to the funeral, and there's a group of people that said, you know what, We, we want to do this, so they're going to do this. Here's an opportunity to show the love of God to others. That's just one. There's so many, many ways to show the love of God to other people. Church, would you stand, please? Listen. Not sure where you're at this morning. Either Jesus is your rescuer, he's your savior, or he's not. 
If not, accept his gift today. Accept his love today. He's ready to grab you out of those waters. He's ready to pull you away from the sin that's just eating up your life. If Jesus has rescued you, you've got a new life. And every time you gather with a bunch of people from church, you gather in a church, that's worth celebrating. So know that you've been rescued. If that was you that just got pulled out after those shark-infested waters and you have the opportunity to live, I'm sure you wouldn't be quiet. I'm sure your face would show something different. Church should have the face of one who's been rescued. You should live a life with purpose, joy. You've been rescued. So let's live in obedience. Let's live with gratitude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. The sin in our life, that's just bad news. The fact that we've all sinned and we can't fix it, that's even worse. The fact that it leads to death, that's even worse. But the good news, the great news, the gospel is that you can save us. You can rescue us. God, I pray if there's somebody in this room right now, they need to be rescued. They've never prayed. They've never asked for forgiveness. They've never asked you to save them. Just pray right now. Wherever they're standing, wherever you are right now, if you need to pray, pray. Thank God that he loves you. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Tell God you know you've walked past the warning signs. Put yourself in a bad place. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Ask him to come into your life. To lead you. A new life. A rescued life. God, for those of us in this room that have been rescued, God, help us to sing an attitude of gratitude. Help us to love others. Help us to walk out of here and live each and every moment with that attitude of, I've been rescued. I don't want anybody else to perish. I don't want anybody else to go through this. Give us boldness and courage to share our story with others. God, we love you. Thank you that we could be here this day. Bless this time, Lord. Sing to you. In our name we pray.